Jesus, I have decided to give you this. Really? You know, whoever sits here makes all the decisions, right? I know, and I'm always making decisions. But you make the perfect decisions, so you just sit right down and start making them. Wow, I'm honored. I mean, this feels great. Guess what? I just got my new credit card. It's time to go shopping. Oh, really? I thought your husband and you were going to pay off debt. Oh, yeah. I mean, money's kind of tight, but I figured he doesn't have to know about it. So do you want to go with me? No. <laughs> no? Why? Uh, what I mean is, uh, I don't know. Um, so let me check my schedule, and then I'll get back to you. Okay, yeah, give me a call. Okay. Kat, what's going on? What do you mean? Well, kind of one cheek in here. Look, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. You wanted me to sit here, right? Well, of course. And whoever sits here makes all the decisions? Right. So what's the problem? Oh, there's not a problem. I just, I don't know what I was thinking. Really, please, here, sit down. As long as you're sure. I'm sure. Okay, so let's start over. Okay. All right. Kat, I noticed that you've been losing your temper a lot lately. Right. So, okay, Jesus, you know what? I know what you're going to say, but um, you, do? you don't know the whole situation, you know? Oh. Well, all I'm saying is that your attitude is a decision. Yes, of course. But I have a lot going on right now. But well, I know you're under a lot of pressure. Pressure? Jesus, you don't understand pressure, okay? This isn't working, Kat. What? We can't both sit on the seat. It's either me or it's you. Okay, I know. You know, I, I didn't think it was going to be this hard. But here, just take it. No, I'm not going to take it. You have to give it to me. Okay, here. Kathleen, make a choice. You just did. So who sits here? Not me. Okay. Can you people not go with the metaphor? Just go with it. Goodness. Let's start the video again. Okay, let's just go with the metaphor. Who should be sitting here? What, you know, how many times a day do we make that decision and we don't even recognize that we have? So the human Jesus shows up, and those living at that time say when he, sh when he was showing up, it was dark and deadly in the world. So Jesus shows up. He puts down the stool. He says, my father sits here. And whatever he says, I speak. And whatever he does, I act out. And then he turns and he says to those around him, the kingdom of God is here. He, he, goes, he goes to a wedding. And, and they're having a tragedy at the wedding because those weddings last about a week long. They run out of wine and, and it's a social faux pas to do that. And so Jesus takes these huge... huge containers of water, has them filled up with water, and then, and then he turns them into wine, and when he gets done, he's simply saying, he's here. Jesus grabs hold of a, of a, of a leper, a guy whose the sores are probably just oozing off out of his body, and, and per perhaps parts of his, his face have already become disfigured, and Jesus embraces him and just says, he's here. There's a blind man. Jesus reaches down and grabs the dirt and recreates the whole creative process that Adam and Eve had experienced. And he recreates and puts this stuff on, on his eyes and says, go wash it off. And the guy washes it off and he can see and Jesus is saying, he's here. They bring to him adultery woman and he forgives her and says, he's here. 
Jesus finds the, the dead girl and he says, oh, you can't stay dead. You've got to become alive again. And she does and says, oh, he's here. And those who watch said it's an amazing thing that that part where Jesus has been used to be dark and deadly. And now it's light and lively. And one of them following says that, that when he did this stuff, the glory of God, the essence of the creator, the light that seems so bright, that just started shining wherever he was because he's here. And Jesus turns to those who are following him. And he says, right here, let me be right there. I'll sit there and what I want to say, you say, and, and how I want to act, you act. And in doing so, you'll say, he's here. See, in our culture, we think Sunday morning is stool time. We gather and say, okay, Sunday morning, Jesus, you're right there. And so we're going to sing songs about you. So you're going to enjoy this because you're right there and we're, we're singing songs. And we recognize you're there. And, and some are going to dance and some are going to dance around you, Jesus. And, and oh, it's great you're here. He's here. We're going we're gonna to talk to him because he's here. And, and we're going we're gonna to make noise about him because he's here. We're going to raise our hands because he's here. Sometimes a bunch of people get together and miracles happen. And so everybody else rushes to that spot because, oh, he's here. Well, we'll take busloads and go all across the country because, oh, he's here. Sometimes something will happen in this gathering and people will leave and they'll, they'll say to their friends, they say, oh, you should have been at church this morning because it was so wonderful and God was there because the pastor didn't get to preach. God, he's here. But you see, that's the church. It's not the kingdom. The church is only part of the kingdom. The church is that which releases the kingdom. Jesus comes in flesh and says, he's here. Jesus is no longer here in flesh. So how does he come about saying he's here? Because he simply said this to us. He said that the church is now Jesus in flesh. We are that voice. We are those actions. Here's what Paul the Apostle said in explaining this whole principle. You'll find it in Ephesians, the first chapter, 22nd verse. It says this, speaking of Jesus, he's in charge of, of it all, has the final word on everything, and at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ, is what? Christ's body in which he speaks and acts, by which he fills everything with his presence. So if we are the church, and how many of you are followers of Jesus? Okay, then we are the church. Just say, say out loud, we are the church. We are. Then we are his body from which he speaks and which he acts. Okay, so if that's the church, what is the kingdom? The kingdom is where God's intentions are followed. That is the kingdom. It's Jesus on the stool. What he speaks, we speak. How he acts, we act. And then his kingdom shows up. See, we've we got this prayer we pray. And you know it, Matthew 6.10. Just actually say it with me. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we've got, we've got this, this, this concept in our mind. That when everything is really messed up at work, that we can say, okay, God, 
the Jesus things in life are not happening at work, so we're going to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. You go do that thing. So how, how do we get his kingdom? Well, your kingdom come, what's the next line? You will be done. So we want your will done here at work. And we have this thought that if we pray that, that somehow God's going to send Jesus and Jesus is going to run into the middle of work. And somehow when you get back to work, Jesus has talked to everybody and everybody's cool. Oh, yeah, this is great. There's just going to be this incredible movement, this miracle. That is not at all because when Jesus said, pray that, he said, I'm not sending Jesus to that spot. I'm sending you to that spot because you are Jesus now in that spot. So when you pray that prayer, you don't just excuse yourself and say, well, I wonder how he's going to work that out. He's saying, I'm going to show you how I'm going to work that out because I'm sending you to that spot. Because you are now Jesus in flesh. See, we've misconstrued this whole thing. How many of you guys have ever played organized football? Okay. So you arrive and they, they give you equipment and you get the equipment and then they give you a playbook and you memorize the playbook and then you have practices and you keep practicing until the beginning of the school year and you've gone through the two-a-days and you've got all that done and then the beginning of the year, it all culminates with the pep rally. Remember those pep rallies? So in the pep rally, and pep rallies are cool because you're, you're ready to play and so now you're all gathered together and there's energy in the room. Oh man, there's energy in the room. And pretty people are cheering, and, and you, hear, you hear the cheers, and you even have, you, you have voices speaking out against the opposition. You're declaring how you're going to defeat the enemy. We're big B-I-G, and we're bad B-A-D, and we're boss, B-O-S-S-B-O-S-S, boss. Whatever that means, I remember that cheer. So we got cheers. We're going to tear you apart. And so so we're, just, we're just pumped. So then we go home and we might study a couple more plays, but then we just live for the next pep rally. And so we get together and there's energy and we're big, big and we're going to take them out, we're going to beat them. And then we live this way, which is maybe a couple more plays, and, and, but we never step foot on the field of battle. We just go from Sunday pep rally to Sunday pep rally. This morning. And in the days to come, in the weeks to come, I want to introduce you to some friends of mine who put Jesus right here. They said, show us what you see. We want to see what you see, the opportunity. And when you speak, I want to speak, we're going to speak. And, and, and when, when you want action, we're, we're going to be your feet and your hands. We're going to do that thing. We're going to step onto the field of battle. And we're going to change our world. So how do we change the world? How do we do that? The first thing that we've got to do is that we've got to decide to be uncomfortable. We've just, we just got to decide that. It's just, it's just going to be how life is. And see, here's our problem. When we think about God and we think about uncomfortable, we think that we come to God, he's going to give us this, this huge dream, this huge plan that we're just not ready to grab hold of. Because if you come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, anything you want, all to you I surrender, I give you everything, he's going to stop you with your family of eight and say, sell everything you have and move to the Congo. And open up a clinic there and watch out for the rebels because they can kill you. And you see, you look at that, and it just seems like a leap. It seems like a leap from here to the top of that, that gallery. I, I don't think I can do that, God. That's just a big jump. I can't get there. So what we do is we just close down and say, well, man, I, I can't do that. 
When in reality, he's just asking you this. I just want one step. Just one step that may be uncomfortable, an inconvenient opportunity. But I just want one step. That's all I'm asking you for. It it may take a little bit of your money. It may take some of your time. It may take some of your emotional energy. It may make you feel uncomfortable, but I'm just asking you for one step. Luke was a follower of Jesus, and he interviewed all those who had been with Jesus. And we have two books that, that he wrote that we read. One is the Gospel of Luke, and the other is the book of Acts. Now, the Gospel of Luke, he gives us this three-encounter primer on how the kingdom of God invades. And I want you to see that this morning. So I'm going to invite you to take your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Because you're going to want to park there, because we're going to look at these three encounters. You may want to write in your margins. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's one in the rack in front of you, or you can use the, uh, the screen when we put the, the scriptures up there, or the outline that you have with you. Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. If you get to John or Acts, come back to Luke. Luke 9, verse 57. As Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This guy has checked Jesus out. He has followed Jesus because you just don't walk up to a rabbi and say, hey, I want to follow you unless you check him out and say, I want that life. I want the deal you're doing. I really like this. So this guy's been checking Jesus out. He's been stalking him. He probably heard about Jesus and the disciples. The disciples are out on a boat. The big storm came up on the Sea of Galilee. And, and, they, and Jesus comes walking across the water and calms the sea. And before he calms the sea, he says one of the disciples, hey, you can walk out here with me. And that disciple walked on water. He, he heard that. I bet he did. And when they landed after all of that, they meet a guy who has so many demons they can't count him. And Jesus confronts all those demons and puts him in a herd of pigs. And the pigs run over the cliff into the water. He's heard that. He probably was there when Jesus was on his way to the house of a, a very seriously ill daughter. And on his way, this woman who's been hemorrhaging for years grabs hold of Jesus' robe because he believes she can be healed. And suddenly the hemorrhaging stops. This is so cool. Now the word comes, the daughter's dead, but Jesus keeps on going. He goes into the house where there's the dead daughter, says, everybody else get out except the, the, the people I brought with me. And Jesus says to the little girl, I want you to wake up. And the little girl who has been dead is alive. This guy probably was with the masses of people when Jesus said, oh, you look also, you're hungry, so let's just divide you up into groups of 50. And, and then Jesus takes these few loaves and fishes and says to his disciples, oh, watch this. And he breaks them apart and feeds 15, 20,000 people. So this guy says, I like this man. I like his initiatives. So bring on God's kingdom and let's get this pep rally going. Jesus has never been one for timeshare promotion. Ever been to a timeshare? How many have been to a timeshare? Yeah. You show up and they show you how pretty things are. And then they tell you that, that you can buy in for a couple of weeks and it's going to be really that expensive when you, when you calculate it out. And so you look at that, and, and then they say, and, and because you're here, we're going to give you a, a, a prize. 
Jesus is not selling kingdom condos. He's not saying, hey, come be with me and, and, we're, and you'll see how pretty things are. Because over here, you know, if you come and stay here, we, uh, I build mansions. And so you're going to be able to see one of those and, and, and it'll be a cool thing for you. And then over here we have the dining room where, where we have fish and chips all you want. Because it's, it's just great stuff that I do. And then we have this dispensary over here, this medical clinic that you come and you've got a sickness, I can heal you. And it won't cost you much and you only have to buy in for a couple of weeks out of the year. And bonus prizes, I can give you eternal life. That's pretty cool. He says, no, no, we don't do it that way. In fact, when you follow me, it's going to get tough. Because somewhere in that walk with Jesus, you're going to look around and say, I decided to follow Jesus, but I'm looking at all the people who aren't following Jesus, and they seem to have it better than me. And chances are, they do. And Jesus said, if that's going to really bother you, you're going to have to get over that to follow me. About that time, this guy had to remember the conversation Jesus had. He's probably aware of this. He probably followed Jesus long enough to hear these words days before. Luke 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? See, following Jesus means giving up your rights to everything that is about you. It means that you clear off. You get everything out of the way. You put Jesus there and you live for his sake. It's what we do. And that's really uncomfortable. You see, if you walk with Jesus very long, he's going to go down into the deepest pain of humanity. Because that's what he does and that's where he found you. We, we, we've got this verse we love to quote. Your mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we embrace that. We hug that. We say, oh, that's for me. His mercy is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness to me. So here's what I need. But when Jesus has this dump truck load of mercy, he wants to back it up into the pit of extreme pain. But he's not here on earth. Who is? The church. The eyes, the ears, the touch of Jesus, the body. He said, I want you to be that spot. I want you to go where the pain is. And it's going to be uncomfortable for you. You are my voice. And so here's what we want to do. Say, Jesus, I'm not sure I want to do that. So, you know, maybe we could just cushion this a little bit because this is kind of rough. And I'll just sit here on the edge. And, and you could have like that much over there. And here we are. And this is great. And, and so we can love each other. And, and, and I can buy in for a couple of weeks. And, 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 and maybe if, you know, if it doesn't hurt too much, I can go do that thing. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If we're going to do this, I sit there and you get uncomfortable. That's the way it is. Because birds have their nests. And foxes have their holes. But the Son of Man has learned to be uncomfortable so that he could go down to where your pain was. Because you see, if Jesus wanted to stay comfortable, you'd have never met him. I want to interview some friends with, for you this morning. Valerie Heinrich, Lee Dennett, and I think Dave, Dave, or Beth Gibson is here. Beth, are you here? I know Dave's out plowing for us today. Come on over, Beth.
join me up here. These are some of my friends that I think are changing the world. None of these folks are going to tell you they're heading to the Congo to set up a medical clinic. But what they're going to tell you this morning is they took a step, and it's changing the world. I'm going to start with you, Beth. Beth, you and Dave have been, been moving into an area where mercy is needed. And you've been doing this for a while. You want to hold that and hold it right up to your mouth. And, and tell these folks what you and Dave do. Where, where is your, your mercy going? What, what do you do? Are we on there? There we go. We have been foster parents for the past 20 years. How many foster kids have you taken in? Um, 27. 27. Is that inconvenient for you? <laughs> yes, it can be. <laughs> what, what does it cost you in, in, in whatever, what does it take from you? Um, you know, you bring them into your home, you have them 24-7. Um, you can't just get any babysitter. It has to be someone who is approved that has gone through 30 hours of training. That's pretty much impossible to find. Um, you have to find other foster parents to help you out. Tell me about some of the extreme cases of people that you, of children that you have helped. Well, they come, a lot of times they come battered and um, we usually try to take the younger children. Um, it's harder to take the older children because they come with a lot of baggage. But and even the younger ones, they come addicted at they times? They come addicted. Um, you have to get them through all the addictions. And then um, we have one right now that has a lot of problems that we're dealing with. Good. So you, you do all of that. What's the payoff? What, why do you keep doing this? It's a calling. It's mm. just a calling. You see a change in some of the, just their, the way they are when they come oh, and they, they go? they're totally different. Within a couple of weeks, they're totally different children. You can't believe how different they are. Um, they come with what is on their back, dirty, uh, sick, and within a couple of weeks, they're just happy and, and so lovable, and it's totally different. I want to thank you and Dave for changing the world. Thank you. Thank you. This is Valerie Heinrich, and she has this wonderful place that, that she goes with her mercy. First of all, she's my secretary, so that's the first place the mercy goes. She's got to have mercy to do that. But you've got this, this great connection. What, what do you do? Um, about, I don't know, over 12 years ago, God called me to work with the youth. And um, sometimes I think I'm too old, and maybe I don't have anything relevant, but... Um, a couple of years ago, Pastor Chad said, we need to connect one-on-one a little bit more. So it was easy to come on Wednesday and just kind of hang out. And so we broke into life groups, and um, I just knew that that's what I had needed all the years prior. So I have this little life group that I have. Of all girls? All girls. Um, sometimes junior, senior high, and I've, we've been doing this a couple of years, so I see some of them come and go. What, what, what does that take from you? What, what do you have to pay out in life to, to make that happen? Well, on Wednesday nights, you know, we usually break up and just speak of something relevant. And God told me about a year ago to do something more. And so now we have our little dinner group. Once a month, we just meet at a local restaurant and um, just kind of hang out and get to know each other. What's the payoff? What happens for you that makes you passionate about this? Um, the payoff 
I hope for them is that they know they always have somebody to talk to. I'm always there for them. The payoff for me is when they come and they're excited. They made district choir. They got their permit or a new boyfriend. Um, but the best payoff that I've ever gotten is when one of my girls sat three rows in front and turned around to me one Sunday and went, and I knew it was worth it. Thanks for changing the world. Thank you. This is Lee Dennett. Lee puts his mercy in a lot of places. I want him to speak, speak specifically for one. The other places he puts it are in my house when things need to be fixed. This is Lee who fixes my house. But, Lee, what, you, you got this thing you're, you're doing with... Uh, well, tell us what it is. Well, a couple of years ago, I had the opportunity to mentor a, a young man uh, in this church. And I did it for about two and a half years. And then he left. And I said, Lord, that's it. I'm not doing this again. Um, it just tore my heart out. I just... Uh, couldn't stand this little guy leaving. Well, about a month later, I had the opportunity to meet another young man, and he popped up behind the couch, and I said, Lord, I'm not doing this again. I can't handle this. So I started to mentor him and uh, brought him in through uh, an organization in Erie called Big Brothers Big Sisters, and uh, I've been mentoring this young guy now for probably about 10 months, and uh, it's just been a real joy. What's the payoff for you? Well, like Valerie said, I hope the payoff is for him that um, he has a man in his life. I was raised without a man in my life, and I know the pain, I know the hurt, and I know the bad decisions that one can make without somebody in their life. And I'm hoping, Pastor, that uh, with me in his life, he'll always have someone to call and, and always have someone to rely on. Lee, thanks for changing the world. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. So Jesus continues his walk, and Jesus actually ends up talking to a guy that Jesus wants to follow him. And when, when the rabbi sees somebody that he thinks has potential, he asks. So Jesus asks this guy, come follow me. And it's amazing, the guy says, yeah, I will, with conditions. Because I'm giving you the stool, Jesus, but once in a while, I need the stool back. Here's what happened. Luke 9, verse 59. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go proclaim the kingdom of God. See, with that passage, we understand why Jesus one day said, you know, the harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people who are hurting and, and, and we can get to them and go into their pain. But I, I don't have enough people. I don't have enough people who will do this. I don't have enough people who will go into the, where they're hurting because they come with conditions. If I'll do that if you do this, if you let me do this, if I can just come part way. Jesus is given this guy an incredible opportunity. But to do that, we must decide to be unorthodox. We're going to have to be. See, see, preaching, this time Jesus said, I want you to go preach the gospel. He said to this guy, go preach the gospel. And if the guy had been watching, he knew that the last time Jesus told a bunch of guys to go preach the gospel, not only did they, did they get to preach the gospel, but they get to cast out demons and cure diseases. It's an incredible package. And this guy's got to be pumped. He's got to be hyped. But at this moment, he realizes that, that this is an immediate call. There's an immediacy with it. It's got to happen now. And for that to happen, it's going to have to be unorthodox. Because, you see, this call for him is running in a direct collision with the social 
and the cultural expectations for this guy. Because one of the greatest responsibilities of the eldest son is that he should be around to bury his father. You just do that. Chances are the father has already died. There has been the the preliminary burial. But what has to happen is they wait another year until all the skin and, and all the tissue has rotted off the bones. They take the bones, they put them in a small box, and they slide them into the tomb wall. He's got to be here for that big ceremony because he's got to finish the burial of the father. It is respect. It's what the family expects. It's what a good son does. So he says to Jesus, I'll do that, but I've got to get the stool back once in a while because I've got to do this thing. Jesus is making it clear that this opportunity has greater benefit for the culture and for the family and for him. If he will move on this opportunity, although it seems to run cross-cultural and it is so unorthodox. He said, you know, let the dead bury the dead. And what he's saying is let those who are spiritually dead just keep doing the usual thing. You find a church that's just kind of maintaining or just kind of having fun, doing the usual thing. Jesus may look at us and say, you're missing the immediacy and you're missing the unorthodox and you're just doing the usual. Let the dead bury the dead. He said, I want you, mister, I want you to see the aliveness, the life that comes with this opportunity. And when it, with it comes an immediate response and with it comes this unorthodoxy that others may not understand, but this is kingdom preaching with kingdom effects. It's what you've got to do. So I'm saying to you this morning, you sitting there, just, just nudge the person next to you. Just nudge him. Yeah, you. He's talking to you. You can't do the usual thing. There's those moments every day where he says, you've got to take a step and it's going to be unorthodox and it's going to be immediate. But I need for you to do this. You say, but it just it goes against family. It goes against culture. It goes against what, I, what everybody else believes. Duh. This is the kingdom of God. And he said, I have got such explosive power for you. If you will follow what I'm saying. I want Virginia Edney and Jeff Williams to join me here. She's some other folks that I think are just changing the world. Virginia, you've got this, this, this thing that you do that is so wonderful, and you have to have an immediacy about you because, because the people are just coming right by you, and, and, and tell, tell these folks what you do. Well, I'm a greeter at Walmart. <laughs> She's a greeter at Walmart. That's what she does. It's a lady. Which is much more involved than what you realize. <laughs> So you get opportunities where you are to suddenly, the Spirit of God says, right now, right now, you've got to take care of this thing. Give us one instance. Well, Pastor, uh, it's like you don't have a warning, Mrs. God. You just do what comes automatically. We live in a hurting generation. I had a couple ladies come in, uh, and they needed assistance with the wheelchair. And, you know, all our lives were very independent. And it's kind of embarrassing for them. So I try to show them that they need not be embarrassed. I try to love them and try to be very kind to them so that they can take use of the facilities that we have and not, not mind doing that. And I find myself feeling very honored to be able to do that. And not everyone that comes through is loving and kind. 
so that's the part that the Lord has called me to do. That's where the uncomfortableness comes in and the self-discipline. And I count it a real, real honor and a very privilege. And what's so amazing is that God places us in areas. Pastor, before I was saved, and you're going to find this hard to believe, I was very withdrawn, very timid. I find that hard I, to believe. I, I, I did not hardly talk. I didn't I have find a, that hard to believe. <laughs> and God has given me the ability to feel that this is where he wants me right now. Can I stand here and say that I've always been faithful and seized every opportunity? I can't do that. But that's when he comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, okay, because I'm not done with you yet. I'm still working on you. Thanks for changing the world. This is Jeff Williams. Jeff is a business owner here in Erie. And, and Jeff... Orthodoxy would say that if you own a business, you need to be really careful as to pushing your faith on other people. What has God led you to do and, and what's happening in your business? Well, I, I would agree with that. We have to be, we don't want to push, but we do want to draw. And uh, a scripture for me that really challenges me is in the book of Titus and Paul talking to slaves, telling them to make the teaching of our God attractive. So how do we do that? in this world that we live in. First, it really starts with who we are, who, who people perceive me to be. And when I bought the company that we own, I wanted to have a mission statement. That seemed to be an important thing to establish a mission statement. Wrestled with that, looked at what other companies had, and God really just boiled it down to a few simple words for me, and it was that this business would honor God in all that we do. And so that's our, that's our vision, that's our goal as a business. And so how do you do that and how does that play out? Well, one, it plays out is with our employees, my coworkers. How do we treat them? Are we fair? Do we pay them a fair wage? Do we take care of them? And, and uh, one of the things that's really important to us also in a business is to show respect and to honor. And uh, sometimes employees are your greatest asset. You know that they are. But sometimes there's those moments that's challenging. So what do you do when an employee comes to you and he's done something that you're just wasn't thinking. And we've all been there before, right? We've all done those moments. And I remember this one time when an employee put the forklift fork through the door of the truck. And you're like, how could that That's happen? That's not supposed to happen, is it? That's not supposed yeah. to happen. But the way that we handled that was mistakes happen. I'm not perfect. That's why Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So I forgive you, but let's just make sure that doesn't happen again. We don't want to do the other door to match it. <laughs> also, in honoring God in all that we do, our customers are very obviously important to us. So how do we honor them? So in honoring God through our customers, we want to take care of them, service them. We want to be fair, not price gouging, if you will, but charging a fair price for the product that we sell. So in honoring God, there's two ways that we do that. And thirdly, is with our vendors. Now, vendors is a whole different aspect because when you have salespeople coming to see you, you can be a little more aggressive. With my employees, I want to be more of them seeing my life and drawing them. But with, with vendors, and if I have a sales rep come in, I can be a little more proactive maybe in sharing my faith because he has to listen to me first because he wants to tell me a story about his product. <laughs> and so I had this vendor uh, from Georgia Pacific. You've heard of that company, a large company. And, and uh, had developed a rapport with this gentleman over the phone, never had met him. 
And, and uh, one day I just asked him this simple question. I said to him, uh, and this came through prayer and God giving me this, but the question was this, is your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? And he paused for a moment and he says, I don't think so. He goes, I'm not even sure what that means. And so that gave me a great opportunity to share with him what it meant to have your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and how that could happen. Eventually, he gave his heart to the Lord. His whole family got saved, and one of his daughters went on a missions trip. So that's some of the ways that we bring Jesus into the workplace at our place of business. Jeff, thanks for changing the world. Thank you. Jesus continued, and he was approached by a man who wanted to follow him, and the guy wanted to negotiate. He said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And, and as you saw in the video, he said, we're going to half cheek it. You get this half, I get that half. Here's the story. Luke 9:61. Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. You know what's startling about that statement? Is there's a great parallel between what happened with Jesus and this man and what happened with the prophet Elijah. Elijah was the prophet, if you remember the story in the Old Testament, who took on all the prophets of Baal and Asherah, and he brought them together in one place, and they called down for their gods to consume a sacrifice. Nothing happened. And then Elijah poured water on his sacrifice, called for God to to take that sacrifice, and God sent down fire, consumed the sacrifice, the wood, the rocks, the dust, and the water. Then he he killed those prophets. He's a guy that that prayed prayed in a drought and then prayed in the rain. He's a guy who outran a chariot. This is a guy who is incredibly powerful and prophetic. The time came that he needed to go get his protege, and he goes to find Elisha. Elisha's out plowing in the field with his oxen. He says, come on, you're going to follow me, and you're going to, you're going to do what I do. Elisha says, I'm going to do that. But he says, can I first go say goodbye to my family? Elisha says, go. Who's stopping you? So he goes, say, says goodbye to his family, comes back takes the plow, makes an altar out of the plow, then he kills the oxen and gives those as a sacrifice to God. Jesus would not let this guy go by, go back and say goodbye to his family. Because his calling was more radical than Elisha's. And so is yours. We must decide that our call is unending. See, we get pumped up about Jesus. We, we come to find Jesus and, and, and we love Jesus and Jesus has changed our lives and we think everything's going to be great and it's going to be wonderful. And then suddenly things get ugly and sometimes you get harassed and sometimes you get discouraged or disappointed or the money gets drained or you, you feel alone. And at that moment, Jesus says, now, wait a minute. If you're walking with me, I'm going to tell you right now, do not stop and turn around because you're going to be tempted to look back here and say, oh, but I had it much easier back then. Or you're going to look back there and say, but those people, they've got more than I've got. He said, don't you dare look back because you can't find what I've got for you if you don't trust me and keep moving ahead. Do, Do not return back there. Do not go back that direction. Because at this moment, your separation from everything else must be out of the way. The whole slate must be clean. Everything's got to be disconnected. And you say, here, Jesus, sit there. It's all yours. I'm coming here to serve you. So that's what you've got to do. You've got to be disconnected from that. 
It's got to be a complete removal. For some of you, it may, may be your family. Because you know what's happening? You're finding this love with Jesus and your family saying, oh man, you are just too radical. What's wrong with you? Get back in line. And Jesus said, you can't. Your family said, why, why do you keep going to those prayer things? What, what, what's, what, what, we're not good enough to just pray at dinner with you? Why, why are you going to the prayer thing? What do you mean you're going to go to, to a college that's going to train you to, to be a better Christian when, when you're going to head down to Pitt and you got the scholarship at Pitt? What, you, what are you doing? Jesus said, when I call you, I call you. He's saying, I want you to let go of your lesser calling. And whatever it costs you, let Jesus sit there. I'm going to ask Connie Miller and Kelsey Hall to join me up here. Connie, we, uh, we know that you've been working hard for several years now developing a home for homeless ladies and, and their kids. And my father's house is established and some other things are established with it and you've been working hard on that. But I want to ask you a question. Did you ever feel like quitting? And why didn't you? Ooh, there's been lots of times that I felt like quitting that I went through periods of deep disappointments and really struggled with discouragement and I've been so far out of my comfort zone I don't know what a comfort zone is anymore mm. <laughs> want to borrow my pillow <laughs> but I made the decision when I started this that quitting is not an option That's good. it's just not on the table it's not there so you've been, you've been touching some people's lives changing them yes yeah. and that I mean what keeps you going is you know I know that this is something God wants this is this is his mission. He's called me to this. And um, the passion for these women, to see these women delivered from abuse and these awful situations that they're in. And that Jesus loves them. He loves them so much. Thank you for not stopping. And thank you for changing the world. Kelsey and I were talking the other day, and she told me about an incident that I just needed her to share with you today. How just at the moment when the opportunity is there, and you get into the moment, and then you find yourself in the moment, and you say, oh, I'd like to back out of this moment. But you're in it. Can you tell these folks what happened the other night? Sorry. Um, a couple of friends and I pray downtown on Monday night. Um, just pray for the city. And um, that, that particular night, it was two Mondays ago, um, we were praying, and I just said, um, praying for God to give me an opportunity to meet somebody's needs in the name of Jesus. And um, afterwards, a friend and I went down, ended up at a McDonald's, um, which we didn't want to eat at. Um, but <laughs> that's, that's where God put us. And so ended up at the McDonald's, and um, we're eating, and we're approached by a young man. And he asked for a ride, and he needed a ride to a part of town that I don't normally go to um not a very fun part of town and you know in my head i'm thinking just in a couple seconds i'm thinking oh my daddy's not going to be very happy if i <laughs> give a strange guy a ride in my car to this part of town um but i thought i was just praying for this um just a couple minutes ago and so i told him we'd give him a ride gave him a ride um he was actually needed a ride back to his car that he um had been living out of for the last two weeks 
uh, life happened and circumstances got hard and um, took him to the place where his car was supposed to be and the car was towed. So now I have this guy in the back seat of my car who has absolutely nothing but the clothes on his back and um, I just, I know some people have some resources and so I got on the phone real quick and um, got a hold of a friend, um, got him a place to stay um, and took him to Walmart, got him just some basic things that he needed. And, and I just want to stop here. You're not rich. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 just, you just got enough for you, and, and you and a friend mm-hmm. decided that you just pool your money and buy this guy clothes. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of simple things he needed. And um, the next day I kept getting phone calls. I, you know, I dropped him off, and we got to have a little bit of conversation about, about Jesus and, what, you know, he kept saying, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? I had, I thought, I don't really know. <laughs> Jesus said to do it. Um, and so... That Jesus, I tell you. <laughs> um, the next day, I kept getting phone calls um, from, my fr- from my friend Andy. And um, he, by 24 hours later, he had had a job interview, got a job, um, got hooked up with an apartment, and... Um, I was able to just call some other people. We threw some clothes together, some food together, and um, so within 24 hours, that's what he had. In 24 hours, this guy got a place to stay and a job and clothing. Thanks for changing the world. I have a question. Who's on the stool? I'm going to ask Celeste and Jonathan to help us. And I want you to think this through. Can you make this your prayer? two more verses of this and 
I'm going to ask you to make these your prayer. We'll put the words up on the screen. And then I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing on you. But right where you are, would you now make this your prayer and sing along with Celeste? may you find that your dedication to the one who pursued you in your pain and gave his life that you may be healed. May you discover now that your dedication to him keeps you from turning back, keeps you from negotiating with him, keeps you from wanting to just take that from him even once in a while. May you find that you have given total surrender because of total faith and total trust in the one who holds all in the palm of his hand. And may you discover this week, this day, within hours, the opportunity for you to change the world around you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.